with this Duke offense this year. Got to have a big fourth quarter here. They got a receiver wide open. That's more, and he'll run under it and score easily. 49 yards on the defensive breakdown from Pitt. Moore didn't have a Pitt Panther within 20 yards of him. Right? You know, watch his eyes. He's able to look off him a little bit, the safety, but just I don't know how Jordan Moore gets that wide open. Servassier showing pressure. Pitt brings a house, and they have a receiver open again. That's Moore. Down close to midfield. He is having a huge afternoon. Go era, baby. Can we get some music? Yeah! After three successful weeks, the Duke Blue Devils kind of come back to earth with an unfortunate loss to the Pitt Panthers. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Duke Football Talk Section 17 podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kennedy, alongside Josh Cox, Scott Medlin, the vacationing Jamie Holt, shocker, and producer Justin Sykes. And as I stated, the Blue Devils went up to Pittsburgh looking to go 8-4, and and unfortunately, they lost another heartbreaker, 28-26 to to the Pitt Panthers. And before we dive deep into all things Duke Pitt, here is Coach Mike Elko postgame. Um, obviously, hats off to Pitt. You know, they made the plays they needed to make today uh, to win the football game. Um, obviously, very disappointed with how we played offensively through three quarters. We really struggled to establish the line of scrimmage. We couldn't get the run game going. Um, you know, we were, we were very inconsistent in the throw game. Um, turned the football over. Uh, special teams-wise, we had some critical mistakes in the return game that really hurt us. Uh, defensively, I thought we battled for the better part of the game. And, uh, you know, other than the one two-minute drive at the end of the half, I thought defensively we did everything we could possibly do to keep us in that football game. And then, you know, again, credit to our kids because they don't quit and they don't stop and they're resilient as heck. And, and you know, for as bad as we played up until the fumble, they returned for a touchdown to go up two. Uh, we put two 85-plus yard drives together. Um, to give us a chance to, to end the game and, and go into overtime. And, and, you know, in our mind, we were going to play that fourth quarter playing to win. Uh, and we've talked about that before from an analytic approach. Then you're going to go for two up 14 when you get that uh, touchdown there. You know, we just didn't feel like with the win conditions and how we were struggling to run the football, we didn't think overtime was going to be our best way to win that football game. And so, um, yeah, that's the reason for that decision. You know, so we got one left. We got to get our guys ready. We got to get back for wake next week, and uh, you know, send our seniors off the right way. But uh, again, proud of our fight. But but from an execution standpoint, we just didn't do enough to win a game on the road. And again, that was head coach Mike Elko post game after Duke's twenty eight to twenty six loss to Pittsburgh. And guys, I, I think I speak for all four of us. This was one game we had circled on the calendar that we wanted to win this year. Probably the most other than North Carolina, just with the history of the Duke and Pitt uh, rivalry. It is a rivalry now, but Pitt has had our number since 2014. Uh, I think the elephant in the room, and we'll address that here in a second, was the uh, the two-point conversion down 28 to 14, or it would have been 28 to 20. But should we have gone for it? Should we have kicked the, the extra point? So this is going to be a, an interesting discussion about a loss when it comes to the Duke Blue Devils. So I'm going to open the floor. Who wants to go first? Yeah, so before we get to the two-point conversion, we'll end with that. 
And basically what we're going to do is uh, we, we have a couple of differing opinions on it and we're going to air them out here for you guys to hear. And I'll, I'm going to give uh, the perspective from coach Elko as well. He spoke with the media off the record. Um, well, yeah, not, not live in the presser uh, today. And so I'll give you a little bit of, of that back uh, backdrop, but anyway, um, some really, really bad mistakes uh, by Duke. Um, really bad mistakes. We can't, uh, you can't win football games in the ACC on the road in November and muff punts inside the five-yard line. Um, you can't, okay, and here's one that didn't end up biting us, but the one where we were going to let the ball go into the end zone on the kickoff, and it it hit the chalk by about a half an inch. Um, once again, that's just not playing clean football on the special team side. On the positive side of special teams, Rocky Shelton made a really good play on that uh, bad snap where he came uh, and, and took care of the punter and tackled the punter, didn't allow him to get the ball away. That was huge. That was a positive there. And then the the drop touchdown. I mean, it doesn't get any any easier. That wasn't a hard throwing ball. There was no contact on the receiver, and we just dropped a touchdown. And so if you want to look at it this way, we gifted them uh, the touchdown on the muffed punt. And then we, we gifted them seven more points on the dropped touchdown. Uh, and then that doesn't count the fumble recovery, you know, that was returned for the touchdown. So all in all, I mean, we gifted Pittsburgh so much and we really, <coughs> excuse me, really did a good job of holding them down for the actual part of the game. And so that was what was so frustrating is that we lost this game and we played like crap but we were still in it and only ended up losing the game by two. So what do you guys think? So maybe some individual performances. It was tough this week finding helmet stickers and stuff. Cause that game was just so kind of, it was deflating Scott. I would, you know, I, I'm going to find the positives here if I can for a minute. Um, we held a Banacanda to 113 yards. Now they ended up, he something happened with him because he didn't replay the whole game. They ended up rushing five different guys, but we held them in check for the most part. Like you say, you get you gifted them twenty one. Duke was in the game. Uh, you know, I'm hoping and praying that we will finally get a game, maybe this Saturday, for example, where we're in the fourth quarter and we win it at the winning time instead of being on the back, the losing end of it. But again. Guys are playing hard, giving it their all. This is a totally different team than what we've had in the past. I mean, Slovis only had that one good drive at the end of the first half where he – and I'm not sure what the situation was. I'm not sure why Ryan Smith or whoever it was had to drop into coverage from that defensive end spot and the tight end was wide open. There was a miscommunication on the blitz. But that, to me, was the only really good drive that Slovis had. He ended up with 190 yards passing. But other than that, I mean, and let's give Pitt credit. They sacked the quarterback like they were supposed to. They did a really good job of that. And they held Duke to basically no running yards. If, if you're going to beat Duke, that is your M.O. And that's what ended up happening. They, it, it, Duke has been grounding and pounding everybody to win. This was the one time where they had to throw the football. Riley had trouble with the with the wind, the football. And, you know, he still ended up throwing for 290 yards. And Jordan Moore again, hey, my man, that – I said it last week, I'll say it again. 
This is why he is a wide receiver now. The guy had a career game, and that's what we're going to expect out of him for the next two seasons. And I'm glad he's able to do what he's done. So, would have much rather come out of Pittsburgh with a win, but it's another learning experience, unfortunately. I look at with Jordan Moore, and Coach Elko mentioned this in his press conference. It's going to be awesome to see Jordan get a full offseason working as a wide receiver, right? Because he just started uh, working as a wide receiver in the summer. So he was in a QB battle for the majority of the spring and into the summer before they before they made the, uh, you know, kind of told us uh, at practice uh, one day that they were moving him to wide receiver. And he's obviously made a huge leap, 199 yards on 14 catches. Brian tweeted this yes, uh, yesterday, which was shout out to Brian with his stats, but top 10, number nine on Duke's all-time list. And he was just a few yards away from probably jumping up to, I think Brian might be able to uh, say something about this, but jumping up to like seven, six or seven, you know, in the top 10. He was just a handful of yards away from doing that. Uh, the cold weather, uh, I think, affected a lot of aspects of the game to start. And we kind of knew this. I think uh, we had talked about it last week on the podcast. I think I think it was Josh that mentioned, you know, hey, be patient because we're going to have to figure out uh, cold, the weather, the cold weather, and Pitt was the best defense we played all year. I mean, that's a, that's a great defensive line. They were getting after Riley, and we have a great offensive line, and they were still able to get after Riley. Uh, but they figured it out. And what we've seen all year, Coach Elko made adjustments at halftime. When we were down at halftime, he makes halftime adjustments. And, boy, is that great to see. Because over the last few years, did we see halftime adjustments? Not so many. But you come in and you see Elko makes the halftime adjustments. And we come back. We have a chance to win the game. And it just it just got away from us. Like Josh mentioned, the drop touchdown, the muff punt. We're not gonna, I'm not going to throw players under the bus, but it is what it is. It happened. And the game, if those if those plays don't happen, I imagine we win the game by 10 points or so. Everyone just took all my, my points, which is fine. I mean, that that's what this is about. But I got I to gotta, gotta be real for a second, guys. What the hell was going on with those pigeons? <laughs> I mean, even Porter was like, hey, they were, they were showing some support while I was punting, but – I mean, I don't know if the pit grounds crew laid down some seed right before the game, some grass seed or something, but I have never in my life seen something like that to where the birds would go to one end of the field and the other end of the field. Like, they would not go away. So, it happened at the Steelers game, the Steelers game, too, okay, the previous so, week. Okay, so it, it, it happened there, too? Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. Hey, shout out to the Pigeons, though. They found a great way to watch the football game up and close. Dude, they were so close. Like, it could have really affected play. Like, it was And that was, was my weird, worry, man. honestly. Yeah. That it, was my fear the whole time that something like that was going to happen. But, hey, we got to see an Alfred Hitchcock movie in real life. Thank you. Yeah, that, that was my uh, tweet during the game. But I think even Jordan mentioned it. Just think about it. Someone throwing a slant around the pigeon for to fly it like Randy Johnson style yeah. would get taken out. But, yeah, again, it, it was one of those games where I have learned to adjust my my fandom with this football team. When we were down 28-14, to 14, had this been Brian of 
2020 or even last year would have been like, game's over. What do I want to do for the rest of the afternoon? Just being real. But with this team, is like 28 to 14. We're still in this. We've got a shot. We haven't been playing the greatest. And what do you know? We came back and almost pulled off yet another comeback win. Now, I don't like to see that. I'm sure Coach Elko doesn't like to see that. The players don't like to go through that. But that just shows they are playing for the full 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have to come this week against a very talented Wake team. But with all that being said, before we get into that, as Josh alluded to earlier, now it's time for the Debate 101 session of the <laughs> Section 17 podcast, where we discuss the two-point call that Coach Elko made after Duke scored the touchdown to only be down 28-20. to 20. Now, some folks said we should have just kicked the extra point, been down seven to where if we score again, we play for overtime. Other folks said, hey, smart move. Had we gotten the two-point conversion, all we would have needed was a touchdown late in the game, and we would have won the game, no overtime. So I've got my thoughts. Scott's got his thoughts. Josh does, as well as Jamie. If you're not on Twitter, then you missed a real tweet this or a, a real treat with his tweets. There we go. That so was does tough. Connor. Yeah, yeah. Shout out, Connor. Buddy. Shout out, Connor. You. That's our guy, by the way. I need yeah. the banter. That's our, that's, that's our guy. So anyway, can I, we got to let Jamie go first. I mean, it's only fair. Keep it PG, Jamie. We don't want Twitter Jamie to show up. Look, my only thing was, and today, I've, I've even been discussing it today on Twitter with different people. Uh, I even shout out, shout out to Mr. Metzger, high school math teacher. I was discussing math on Twitter. Um, but the analytics people, I just don't, I don't, I don't get it. I'm more of a flow of the game guy. So I'm looking at, I'm looking at it gets to 28 to 20. I want to kick the extra point. And then I want to get it to 28, 21. Then I want to, if, if I want to go for the win at 28, 27 is when I'm going to go for the win or, and I give myself the option of going to OT as well, which I think, I believe that we would have won the game in OT and pit if we had gotten there. Um, so that's just my thing. It's like, I, and I understand, I understand the math, but you look at, you look at the two point conversion rates, it's like 43%, 44%, even in the NFL, like these are professional football players in the NFL and they're only converting two point conversion, two point conversion rates, like 49%. So it's to me, the, the percentages go way down to when we were playing Pitt, which is the best defense we've played all year. We couldn't run the ball on them. We had a hard time running the whole time. So, like, I just felt like the percentages went way down. And when we missed the two-point conversion, then you have to go for a two-point conversion when you're going for the tie. And that was that was a terrible, terrible play. And it just – I feel like – that didn't necessarily cost us the game because we discussed other things that cost us the game. Uh, but it cost us going to overtime for sure with the potential of getting a win. But once again, 10 out of 10 times, I'm rolling with Coach Elko. So he's, he's, he's the man to me. So I'm not, I'm not going to – I'm sitting here. He gets paid the big bucks to make the decisions. 
I'm sitting here talking about it for free, so. Well, well, and plus, if uh, you're ever on Xbox and you're playing Jamie, just know he'll never go for two. He'll just kick the extra point. So there you go. Scott, you want to give a counterpoint to Jamie, or do you agree I, with him? See, here's the funny part about all this. I'm actually probably the one out of the group that was the least annoyed one way or the other, I think. I, I'll be honest with you. I don't care one way or the other. I, I don't I don't understand it. I understand the analytics side of it. Personally, would have rather had the two field two extra points kicked go to overtime. If things go the way they were, they may not have got to that point anyway. Um, I will say this: that both the plays for the two point conversions. Whew, okay, that's my problem. The Philly special would have worked had the guys blocked nobody blocked anybody and that's why it got blown up and the pass that riley threw on the first one was he was he was trying to find somebody problem was they had everybody blocked and he ended up throwing it i think to jordan Moore, like at nine foot tall so i mean i'm not saying that you know it is what it is coach elko's the coach he gets paid to do it I'm going to back whatever he says. Because the flip side of that, if we win the game, we're talking about how great a job he did and such the best play calling ever. So it is what it is. Got to make the plays to get to that point to win the game is, is my point of the whole situation. So he, he, he gets paid the mills. I don't get paid anything. So we're good. Yeah, I was kind of the same way. And I, I tweeted about this uh, after the game. Fans are going to be – one way or the other. And by that, I mean this. Had Duke scored that two-point conversion to go uh, or to be down 28 to 20, all you would have seen is this coaching staff is genius. Why didn't I think of that? More coaches need to do that. But as we saw, when it didn't go right, why are we doing this? We're down 14 points. That was a boneheaded move. I mean, analytics are analytics. And I'll just drop this. I was actually at a family gathering yesterday. I had my cousin there who played football for North Carolina. And I just casually mentioned, I said, hey, I got a question for you. You're down 28 to 14. You score a touchdown. Do you go for two? He goes, yep, sure do. And I said, why? He goes, the, and, and he said, he goes, just the analytics. He goes, and with the flow of the game and everything, if you're trying to get back in it, you want to go for two, get it. And you're, you're going to be even closer. And it just makes it more of a downhill uh, path for you if you were to score a touchdown so I'm kind of like with Scott I mean I didn't I didn't think the game was over I just kind of questioned it and Josh is going to talk about this more about what Coach Elko said but I mean you've got to do something different based off the way the game was being played it was a ping pong match they would score then we would score then they would score then we would score realistically we stopped them with what three minutes to go at the end of the game, then they had that muff putt. So we had a lot of stuff fall into our, our, our favor. But again, if I just like the fact that they're going for um, calls that you don't see many college coaches doing this day and age. A lot of coaches play it safe. Let's go to overtime. Let's just get our points, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Josh? So I'll give my point first, and then I'll, talk, I'll tell you um, everything I can share from what <clears throat> Coach Elko said. <clears throat> so my point was this, and this was in, in the moment. And, and I, after speaking with coach Elko about it uh, today, um, 
I, I probably will would err on his side um, of this. My thought was that we should have played for overtime, and and my reasoning at in the moment was Slovis had just thrown two interceptions in the third quarter. Um, the drive that that overlap between the third and fourth quarters that Pitt had, uh, Duke stopped them on downs on fourth down and got the ball back. I felt like that we had the momentum as far as that was concerned. Now, I know we uh, fumbled the ball. By the way, that's the first fumble by a Duke running back the entire season. Let me repeat that, Duke fans. That is the first fumble by a Duke running back the entire season. Let's try this again. Justin, play the breaking news music. So shout out to the running back room. I mean, seriously, we here we sit in game 11 on the season and we're talking about the first fumble by a running back. But anyway, all that to say, uh, I was definitely team overtime. And uh, now I'll give you, I will give you, okay. And then, then with that, I'll give you what Coach Elko thinks, but leading into that, here's, here's in a nutshell what we're arguing. In Jamie's thought process, Duke has a 50-50 chance of winning or losing the game, roughly. Roughly 50, 50 chance of winning or losing the game. If you kick the field goal, you're down seven, you score the next touchdown, you're down one. Then you make your, the entire game rests on that one play. And as Jamie said, you're 50, 50 on it. And probably less than 50% to make it, especially with Pitt's defense, but you're, let's just call it 50, 50, just for simple math. Uh, if you do what coach Elko did, um, you are basically saying you're basically giving yourself a 70, a 75% chance at going to overtime and a 50% chance of winning the football game. If I do my numbers correct, if you make the two point conversion, which is a 50, 50, then it's pretty much hundred percent. You're going to make the extra point after you score the second touchdown, the game over. If you miss on the, the, uh, if you miss the two point conversion attempt, like we did, and you make the second one, there's your 75% of that you would have gotten at least to overtime. And unfortunately for Duke, we were just zero for zero. We were 0%. We, we didn't. So that's that's the thinking behind it. You give yourself you give yourself two chances uh, by doing that, uh, of going for two and of getting that two-point conversion. I completely understand it. Now, here's what Coach Elko said. A couple of very important things. Number one, this decision to go for it, to go for the win in the fourth quarter was made Wednesday. So it wasn't even a decision that was made in the moment. You know, we mentioned flow of the game. Here's what we got to get used to as Duke fans. Coach Elko is going to look at the numbers and look at the percentages ahead of time during the week. And more than likely, that is what they're going to go with. So just, it's okay. Just get get used to that and get ready for that. So number one, the decision was made days before the game. Um, number two, the reason why the decision was made was, was the truth, even though you know, it, 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 he wasn't, you know, he made it early. And it was that overtime games are always, always run game, kicking game. Like almost all the time, it is run game and kicking game. And he said, our run game had not, we had 63 yards rushing or whatever we had. We were not running the ball well. 
And then the kicking game. We saw that early in the game, they their kicker hit, what, a 51-yarder? And then it hit another one, 40-some plus. Um, and nothing against Todd Polino, but we their, their kicking game was was better than ours. And their running game, listen, I don't know what Narduzzi and, and the OC were thinking in that fourth quarter, but if I'm if I'm there, Israel Banacanda and who or whoever's in the backfield is getting that handoff every single time. They threw the ball a couple times in the fourth quarter late there, right before the punt. That I couldn't believe they did that on that third down. So anyway, that was the reasoning. Um, and he said that that they just felt like that Pitt would have had the overtime advantage. And you know, it's tough to argue against that. Because if they're going to run the ball and it's going to turn into a field goal game, I don't like our chances. Jamie. Yeah, uh, that was my one thing. Like, first of all, Coach Elka, we've heard from different players throughout the year. His football IQ is through the roof. So I have no, <laughs> I have no uh, anything better than what Coach Elka would be. So if he's going to make that decision on Wednesdays, I mean, so we already know they're going to make that decision basically uh, in two days for what they're going to do on Saturday in that situation, which is fine. I just thought my process, my thought process was Pitt was playing so well defensively against the run. And we, the two-point conversion, therefore, you get a rate of about 43 to 45% of a conversion rate to me it went down against Pitt's defense like you're probably looking at a 35 percent chance of actually completing the two-point conversion against a defense like that that was that was my only quip because I would I've said it in the past I've said it again down 28 27 I would absolutely go for the win and I would be, you know, if I didn't make it, I would be getting questioned, you know, by the media and by every, everybody, fans and everything else. But I would absolutely have gone for the win down 28-27. I just think we put our boxed ourselves into having to go for two two-point conversions and just against Pitt just wasn't wasn't allowing, allowing that for the day. Yeah, no, that's understandable. Uh, I do think that something – that did not help us in the entire game, but definitely on two-point conversions uh, is the fact that Nikki Dalmalin uh, was out and is out this coming week as well. Um, it really he, – he had become a short yardage uh, target, and, um, you know, that really takes away uh, an element of the two-point conversion when we can't run Nikki to that, to that pylon, which we'd done uh, several times. And so, that you know, and nothing against Cole Finney – or anybody else that comes in and plays in that tight end spot. That was just Nikki is special. He's a wide receiver in a tight end's body. So, you know, I think that was something uh, for sure, just to note. And by the way, yeah. Coach Elko, like we were at the presser today with him, like he, we're joking around about all this and stuff. Same way with Connor O'Neill. You may have seen us back and forth on Twitter with him. Everything's in good nature, good fun. Listen, we've told you guys this on this podcast. We're going to be honest and fair. And so if we got questions, man, we're going to ask them and we're going to do it the right way. And, and, and it's all good. So we're definitely not just like little, uh, we're not just falling in line. We're going to ask questions and that's, that's part of a good relationship. I believe in covering a team. And so that's what it is, what it is. There was one more thing about going for two. Had we been able to, like you said, have we been able to run the ball 
they Raleigh, that was the one team this whole year that has been able to hold Raleigh to like basically nothing rushing, right? He basically got nothing. Uh, so that would have been a great two point conversion play. You just line Raleigh up in the shotgun and you let him pick, you let him pick his hole and get into the end zone. Most nine times out of 10, that's probably going to work. But this time it didn't work. Also, uh, shout out to Connor. I am not a dinosaur. <laughs> Raleigh, Raleigh had minus four rushing, just for the record. All right. Well, let, let's end on that because this could quickly turn into a why we did or did not go for two uh, or why we should or should not. So with that being said, guys, we got one game left in the regular season. And this has become our last game of the year for quite some time against the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Another one that we would love to win and end the season on a high note. And as I said last week, we got back on track and we're going to keep that train rolling. Scott was able to sit down with Wake's play-by-play man, Stan Cotton. Always a good interview. And here is Scott's interview with Stan Cotton. Joined now by Stan Cotton, veteran play-by-play announcer for the Wake Forest Sports Network. Stan will be with us. On, will be on the call for the Demon Deacons season finale this Saturday in Durham against Duke. Stan, thanks for coming on the Section 17 podcast. You bet, Scott. I appreciate the invite. Always, uh, always like to talk about obviously and anything in the ACC. So uh, good to be with you today. Well, I know this is. I know this is a busy time of year. Um, so speaking of it being a busy time of year and so many things going on, what is the crossover season like for football and basketball <laughs> for a man in your uh, your job? Well, I mean, it, in our household, it's called the, the dreaded overlap. And, and it's one of those things where if you do what I do for a living, you know, you you love it at the same time you hate it. Uh, and, and the biggest thing that I hate about it, Scott, is that from time to time, it, it makes me miss a game, which I just can't stand to do. Wake was uh, playing basketball this past weekend in Jamaica, and I had to miss it. Now, obviously, it's Jamaica. You'd like to go to Jamaica. I've been to Jamaica. Uh, I had the opportunity to go there years ago, but I just don't like to miss games. Um, and f- from from year to year, I if it's at all possible, if it's physically possible for me to be uh, kind of at – both places at one time I'll, I'll do that because I just don't like to to miss games but that wasn't possible this year so um had to miss the trip down to uh to Jamaica but uh anyway it's it's a great time of the year it's an awful lot of fun for fans I imagine uh but for those of us trying to cover two teams at the same time it it, it gets a bit challenging and and difficult yeah, I, I can understand that. Um, that's kind of the one fun thing about us. We're just a football-only podcast. So we'll go in a hiatus once the bowl season's over. So, I mean, we're still basketball fans of Duke University, but that's just not something we talk about on this podcast. So it's just, you know, we, we the, trying to overlap as a fan is really difficult. So I can only imagine being in your position trying <laughs> to have, have to do it. A few years ago, I logged one of the craziest months in in my life, no question. I was in Hawaii and Pennsylvania and Florida and and, and Indiana. It was just nuts over the course of about three and a half weeks. But uh, uh, anyway, it's again, it's one of those things that you love to do. And then sometimes you you have to hate to do it. But uh, it is what it is. It, It beats laying bricks, that's for sure. 
Yeah, this is true. I, I will not argue that. So at, as, uh, you know, looking up your uh, your history there a little bit, you're a Tennessee grad. I didn't realize that. Um, how How is it being a Tennessee grad knowing how well they've played the season up until the last weekend? Are you able to watch that or pay attention to it, or is it just Wake Forest is just your main deal and that's all you do? Oh well, certainly Wake Forest is the deal, but but I'm I'm a proud Tennessee grad. I, I was born and raised in Knoxville. My my most of my family is still there. My wife's family is there. She has a couple of degrees from Tennessee, so we're proud Tennesseans and, and proud volunteers. Although you know our our blood bleeds black and gold right now, and and, and always will. But uh, yeah, you know I watch as as much Tennessee stuff as I can, but that's it's generally like the next morning. I'm, I'm an early riser. I'll get up about 5.30 in the morning, uh, make a big pot of coffee and, and and put the Tennessee game on or Dallas Cowboy game. I'm a big cowboy or, or whatever. I, I watch most Sunday night NFL games on Monday morning and Monday night NFL games on Tuesday morning, Thursday night games on Friday morning, things like that. So I uh, uh, and I'm also a big golf nut and watch a lot of golf, but hardly anything live. It, it's always uh, early in the morning, the next day, or even two days after, with a big pot of coffee. That's that's kind of my mo. Okay, well, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, you know, being a big fan and stuff, I I, I would I try to stay up. It's not as easy as it used to be. Not I'm not as young as I used to be, I guess. But anyway, um, so Wake has lost three out of the last four games. Um, obviously, how has Coach Clawson been able to keep the morale up with those recent struggles? Well, and he's he's done a fantastic job of that, quite honestly. Um, and I think he's probably like coaches at this level, Scott. And I imagine Mike Elko's. I know Mike Elko's this way because I know him. You know, he was at Wake, as you know. But I, after any game, whether it's a win, a big win, or or a frustrating loss, they they give these guys about twenty four hours to process it. You know, if you win, enjoy it. If if you've lost, you know, take a step back, look at the game. Why did you lose? What could you have done better? And then move on. Uh, and, and Wake has done a pretty good job of that. Uh, it, it, it really has. And, and I credit Dave Clawson for that. Um, and when you talk to him on a Monday or a Tuesday after whatever happened on Saturday, you can tell when he's pivoted, you know, when he has put it behind him. Uh, whether it's a big high or or low, um, and and I think the the Deeks over the years, and this is Clawson's ninth year now, they've done a really good job of that, of of moving on, of uh, of playing in the present, not letting what happened last week dictate the way you feel, the way you prepare, the way you play the next week, and and so uh, you know Wake had a, a nice win over Syracuse this past weekend, and. And uh, I guarantee you, it's you know as as we record this, it, it's Monday, and Wake has moved on. They're, they're getting ready for Duke already, and and uh, have been for a few hours. And and I'm, I can't imagine that that that's not the way. Pretty much that Mike Mike Elko and and anybody else that's successful at this level does it. Right, and that makes total sense. Uh, I know Coach Elko had his press conference earlier today, and he was you know. He had already moved on talking about Wake Forest and getting ready. So try to fix the mistakes we made last week so that we go to this week and try not to make the same mistakes against this very good Wake Forest team. 
Um, speaking of Wake Forest, um, what was it like with Sam Hartman being out? Because it seems to me like, and I, and I don't know, I don't know a lot about the program. It seems like he's the heart and soul of the team. Is that is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely, he is. Um, and it was uh, it was a crushing blow when that news came down in fall camp. And what was so bad about it was that you just had no idea what the future was going to be for Sam, regardless of football. I mean, just, you know, you take football aside, what, what's this going to do to this young man the rest of his life? Um, because we didn't have a whole lot of information. Um, you know, there, there were obviously a, 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 a very tightly knit group of folks who knew um, trainers, things like that about his medical condition, but the rest of us, and, and, and you can imagine why, uh, that the Wake folks kept all of that stuff pretty tight to the vest or close to the vest. Um, so we just didn't know, um, you know, what's going on with Sam. And so you you lose your your bell cow like that, and that's a blow, uh, no question. But then as, uh, you know, those of us who were at practice and around the program, you you saw Sam there. He looked good. He acted good. He he. Uh, was saying all the right things, you started to feel better about it. And, you know, he just missed one game. Uh, you know, we didn't know if he'd ever pick up a football again, you know, when all of this first uh, happened. But uh, to Mitch Griffiths' credit, the backup quarterback and probably the quarterback of the future of this program, he came in and did terrifically well uh, against VMI. It's like, wow. Uh, and it was good to see him in action and, and, you know, take over the team for that one game. But uh, no question, Sam Hartman has been and still is the heartbeat and the soul of, of this Wake Forest football team and, and program right now. And uh, without him and not knowing what the future was for him just as a person, it was kind of scary. It was a gut punch. But uh, obviously everything's worked out pretty well. well. I know here from a couple hundred miles away, when, when I heard about it, I'm a huge football fan. And, and I hate to see anyone get hurt, injured, problems, anything like that. And I, you know, know seen the backstory last year on sport uh, game day about, you know, things he's done. And I was like, man, that just – I hated it for him, but I'm so glad that he's back. I may not appreciate it that Saturday, but I am glad he's back playing for <laughs> Wake Forest. So yeah, as we look- well, yeah, well – yeah, uh, I get it. And all of us are fans of the ACC and, and of young people, you know, who cover them and have for years. And, uh, you know, it's we all pull for for these folks to, to do well. And, uh, I, you know, I, I want Duke to play very well on Saturday and I want Wake to play very well on Saturday and the best team win. Well, that, would, that would be great. I mean, I, I would love to see that because we've not seen – Duke play to the wake level here in the last couple of years. So I would love to see them be on the same level and go all four quarters to the very end. So looking forward ahead to Saturday's game against Duke, 330 kickoff on the ACC network. We wanted to have you fill in the blank with some statements when it comes to this wake team. Okay. So an area that wake will excel at on the field Saturday is. Throwing the football. Uh, I just think that, uh, you know, that's, that's what Wake is. The, they're a throwing team. Sam Hartman's a throwing quarterback. They've got a, a terrific collection of, of wide receivers, and, and I think they'll continue to do what they've done well all season long. Now, 
uh, in the game last week against Syracuse, Donovan Green uh, got hurt. Uh, a couple of other receivers got kind of dinged up. So we'll see. But that, that the good thing is for Wake, you know, they've got a lot of depth at that position. So I, I just can't imagine uh, that Wake Forest won't be able to throw the ball and, and throw it pretty well. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a fair assessment to say this is probably the best uh, set of receivers Duke will see all season so far. Um, other than Sam Hartman, Duke fans need to watch out for whom on Saturday for Wake Forest? Without question, number nine, A.T. Perry. Uh, he's just had a phenomenal career, uh, phenomenal season. Uh, he's now Wake Forest's all-time leading receiver when it comes to touchdown passes. He has 27 for his career, and that's uh, two more uh, than Hall of Famer Ricky Prohl, who played a number of years in the NFL. And some of the older Duke fans will certainly remember uh, Ricky Prohl's name. And uh, he's just one of those receivers that is special. He can get open. He's got great hands. He's got good size at 6'5", uh, and he can find the end zone. So uh, that combination for Wake 10 Hartman to nine Perry has been a pretty good one over the last two, three years. And you were talking about numbers there. Uh, Hartman's what three away from catching Taj Boyd for touchdown. In passes, terms of touchdown. Yeah. Uh, he's got 104 Boyd's got 107. Okay. Uh, that's what I thought. So yeah. Yeah. That's all time in, in the league. And in terms of yards, uh, he's now second all time too uh, behind Phillip Rivers. He passed uh, Kenny Pickett. Uh, this past weekend. So, you know, when you talk about Sam Hartman, he's, he's one of those guys that stacks up uh, most of them in this league, you know, uh, for, for decades, you know, he, he's right. just one of those guys. And I think he's done that Scott kind of under the radar. He, he oh, really has. I, uh, I would, I would agree with you 10,000% on that. I think he's the most underrated quarterback in the conference by far and it may take you four names to get to get to him he's to me he's the numbers speak for themselves so wake will win saturday against duke if they don't turn it over i you know and and that's easy to say i mean you could you might could fill in that blank with that answer every week um but you know you just can't turn the ball over against good teams like Duke and expect to win. And 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 when Wake was in that three-game losing streak, I mean, the, the game at Louisville was just insane the third quarter. I mean, it's hard to get six possessions of the football in any quarter, but Wake had six turnovers in the third quarter alone right. at, at Louisville. Then they kind of, you know, righted the ship, played a whole lot better uh, against uh, uh, Carolina and State. It was State right after Louisville. You know, and, and State's a really good team, and, and the Tar Heels obviously have had a terrific year too. But uh, you just can't turn it over uh, and, and expect to win. Not in this right. league anymore. Yeah, and that's one of the things that Duke has obviously changed. We've turned it over less and we've caused more, and that's part of the reason why the success is the way it's been. So Duke will win against Wake if? Leonard goes nuts. <laughs> I mean, I was looking at some of his stuff earlier today. It's like every week Wake plays a quarterback that's a dual threat. And without question, he is that. Uh, you know, he's a, an efficient passer. Uh, he's a terrific runner. Uh, and, and the little that I've watched him, uh, 
uh, in games. He's just really, to me, stood out. And, 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 and I wonder why I haven't heard his name more. I think he's under the radar a little bit too, just in terms of uh, how good he is and how valuable he is to, to Duke's team. Uh, I really like him. Uh, I, uh, I, he just does everything well to me, doesn't make a ton of mistakes, and uh, you know has found a way to, uh, to, to help this team win. Yeah, he, he came in as the only quarterback that nobody knew of that had started last season, and he was ranked 14th to start out the season. So he's been proving a lot of the uh, the doubters wrong. And that's one of the things we like about him. And he honestly, he's a linebacker playing quarterback as far as when he starts running the football. He, oh, I he, believe it. I, he, you know, he, he takes the hits and gets right back up. He's, he's what, 6'4", 6'5", 200-plus. And, uh, you know, he, he's got kind of sneaky speed. Uh I think. I mean, I've seen him with with several really long runs uh, where he was running away from defensive backs. I'm like, good grief. Uh, so, yeah, he's just – he kind of falls in a very long line of, of dual-threat quarterbacks in this league. And, and I'm anxious to see him in person on Saturday. I really am. Well, I know that the, the weather forecast has changed 15 times since Saturday. But right now it looks like it may be raining at kickoff. So that will be interesting. We'll see. Of course, it'll change ten more times as North Carolina. So, so look, looking forward and you know, kind of get off the football for a second. Looking forward to bowl season. Obviously, you just mentioned a few minutes ago we talked about the fact that you uh, you're in your dual season. What is a destination maybe that you've gone to before for with Wake Forest bowling, or one that you may would like to go that you've never been, or an answer to either one of those works for me. Um. Back in 06, Wake went to the Orange Bowl. That was pretty sweet. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, and, and that was a year where, you know, back in the summer, the media picked Wake last. And 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 Wake won and, you know, won the ACC title uh, in Jacksonville and went on to the Orange Bowl. And uh, it, it, it'd, be, it'd be fun to go to go back. I know that Wake's not going back to the Orange Bowl this year, but that'd be a good return trip. I, one place I don't ever want to go again is the pinstripe bowl in, in Yankee stadium. It was nuts. I mean, because of, you know, you, you put the football field down in a baseball stadium and the broadcast booth was right behind the goalpost. Wow. And I had to, I had to call the game off the television monitor there in the moose Scott in the booth Scott, because I, th there was zero depth perception. Uh -huh. You might have a soft, to one side, you couldn't tell if the back was tackled four or five yards behind the line of scrimmage or if he had, you know, gone three or four or five yards downfield. It was really, really odd. Um, and some of the projections have weight going back to the pinstripe bowl. Some have them going uh, to, to Fenway, which I can't imagine that the setup wouldn't wouldn't be the same. Uh, I sure would like to go to San Diego. That'd be a fun bowl trip, I think. I've never been. Uh, to San Diego, been to California a number of times, but never to San Diego. And I hear it's one of the uh, really beautiful spots in our country. So I'd I'd, I'd like to go there. Uh, the the thing though that that's kind of cool with Wake, this will be their seventh bowl trip in a row, which is the second longest streak of that nature in the league behind Clemson. And a lot of people don't know that. Um, and so it's just we we've gotten kind of spoiled under Dave Clawson at Wake of going to postseason games. Uh, so, 
anywhere you go in a bowl game is good. I don't care where it is. Um, So I'm just, I'm just looking forward to it. And, you know, it's funny, regardless of of what service you look at or, or what media outlet, they've got us going all kinds of places. So I have no clue where Wake will, will go, but uh, wherever it is, we'll go and, and we'll be happy about it. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, we we started uh, as soon as we knew, well, one of the guys had started something, Brian, probably midway through the season because he just ended looking ahead, thought we were going to make bowl season. Now, since that we did get the sixth win, every week we're locked into, you know, the 10 different projections on where it's going. So it's, you know, we're just looking forward to going to a bowl. And at this point, obviously we would rather go somewhere East coast just because of the fan base, because, you know, it'd be perfect for Duke to stay on the East coast, but we don't have any control over that. So we just got to do what they got to do. Right. Exactly. Um, don't, don't ever uh, turn your nose up at a bowl trip anywhere right. it is. Absolutely. But I get it. I, and it's, it's great to, to go to a bowl game, but you want to win it, you know, and, I know that a lot of the bowls that uh, I remember when Wake was uh, been four or five years now, Wake was in the uh, military bowl up in Annapolis and had a great contingent of Wake fans. And that, that really, uh, in, in my view, helped, helped Wake win a, win the game. Uh, I mean, if you, if you can have your fans there and, and kind of create a, a bowl game advantage, that's a great thing. Obviously if you're, in San Diego or El Paso, someplace like that, that'll be, that would be much harder to do. Right. And personally, I'm a big military person, you know, USA, love all that stuff. I would love to go for that reason, just for that reason, but it would love to be great to see Duke play there too. And it's not that far from home. So, um, look, if there's somewhere in Wake Forest, you would say, no, not Wake Forest, in Winston-Salem, is there somewhere down over there that's like somewhere you like to go like to food for food or just like a beautiful place to go sit, like a park or something like that that we may not know about here in this area? Oh, well, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a big barbecue guy. Uh, so Little Richard's Barbecue, a couple of really good locations in town if, uh, if you're into that. Uh, it's a good spot. Putters is a great spot. It's real close to the to Truist Field, Wake's football stadium, and the Joel Coliseum where the Dicks play basketball. They, they've got good red meat, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, they're they they love sports. They love Wake, and and they treat everybody just great. And their food's fantastic. Um, uh, I you know I live out in Davie County, kind of partial to the you know as we talked about. I'm an old Tennessee hillbilly, so. Uh, I, I like uh, all things rural, and uh, I, I'm out here right now as, as, as we record this, uh, looking out at my house in the middle of nowhere. You can't see another house, and it's pretty cool. I, people could come to my house if they wanted to and uh, <laughs> hang out and, and get away from, from the noise and, and traffic and just watch the dogs play, and, and uh, shoot, we'll, we'll, we'll throw something on the grill down here. How about that? Well, that that sounds like a nice piece of heaven right there, personally. Oh, it's I, great. We I, I could uh, live with that. I, I'm telling you, we uh, finally talked my wife uh, into uh, doing that. We 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 bought a little bit of land and and built a house out here in the middle of nowhere and raised our two girls out here and a bunch of dogs and uh, we've loved it. You're gonna have to drag me out of here now. That that's for mm-hmm. sure. 
Well, that's cool. Well, Stan, thank you for so much for joining us here on the Section 17 podcast. Good luck with this Saturday's game and then the Deacons' upcoming bowl game. You bet, Scott. Thanks for the invite. Good luck to, to Duke and, and Coach Elko. Re- really do like and respect him, and uh, he's going to get my vote for Coach of the Year for what he's done this year uh, at Duke. Uh, you guys got a good one there, good human being, good coach. And I think it'll be a good game. These these Duke weight games typically are good ones, and I'm looking forward to it. And our thanks again to Stan Cotton, uh, one of my favorite interviewees to, to talk with. I talked with him last year, Scott. You, uh, you had a great interview with him this year. And I think this is going to be one of those games, going to be closer than most people thought yet again to begin the season. I believe out of the four of us, only one of us said that we had a shot. Yeah. Yeah, Brian. This this guy. This guy. But needless to say, we've gone through our interview with Stan, and now it's time for our mailbag section. And we thank each and every one of you each week that have uh, given us questions. And this week was no different. So, Jamie, let's go ahead and get this train rolling. Who is first for the mailbag? You said, um, you said one uh, thing was like, you were the only one that uh, picked us to possibly win this game. I was the only one to pick us at, to go to a bowl game this year. So just FYI. I, I'm surprised you didn't uh, say that right when we opened the the episode tonight, like you did last week with the jersey, but that's, or or the score or whatever. But that's neither here nor there. Let's get rolling. <laughs> but anyways, I'm going to Facebook first. Uh, Michael Christmas. What needs to be done to overcome the fourth quarter last minute curse? So it doesn't happen again this coming game against Wake Forest. I mean, that's a valid question. <clears throat> um, the argument can be made that um, we've just not been able to, to finish for whatever reason. And and I think in each one of those games, we look back at, at plays that happened in the first, second, and third quarter that really put us in the situations in the fourth quarter. Does that make sense? Like, I, I don't think that we're not clutch. I think we've shown that we're clutch. I believe that, that we've really done well on, on most of our in end game situations, but sometimes it's just like, we were down a little bit too much, a little bit too early, or we made a boneheaded play a little bit one, one too many times. And so I don't know that it's really about fourth quarter execution. I mean, you cannot, put the entire game on whether or not we we uh, converted those two-point conversions. I mean, listen, that pit game was all about a muff punt, a, a, a fumble return for a touchdown, a dropped touchdown pass, probably 15 missed blocks at some point in time on the running backs. Like, we could go through the list of things. And so I don't think it's as much the fourth quarter thing. I think it's the mistakes in the first three quarters that get us into those situations. Yeah, and we've seen Coach Oko, like I mentioned earlier, Coach Oko with his in-game adjustments has gotten us in these games. It's just a matter of – I think it's a matter of Duke just making that game-winning play. He's put us – he puts the team in position to make the game-winning play. We just have yet to do it. And it's been critical mistakes like a penalty against Carolina or whatever, whatever it was. Next uh, question, Drew Cheshire. Which current Duke players are likely to be on an NFL roster next season? Um, none. 
<laughs> I, I don't mean I'm not being rude or condescending, but I think some of the guys that could potentially go could still come back. Let's remember there is that wild card in play, and that is the COVID rule to where you can come back and play that season that pretty much everyone lost in 2020. So if I were a betting man, I'd say zero. I, don't get me wrong. We'd love to see some guys enter the, the draft and get drafted by a team. But I think there's a lot of unfinished business, even at seven and four, potentially eight and four, or even seven and five as we head into a bowl game. I, I think a lot of these guys could potentially come back next year. Scott? I would say two. And I'm going to say grad transfers. Ah, yeah, true. I think the Darius Joiners – Chance Lytle and Darius Joyner are my two. And Speedy could make a roster down the road, but I think Chance Lytle has earned himself a chance to make some money at the pro level. And Darius Joyner's a tackle machine. And as an NFL scout, you have to love that. It doesn't matter what position he plays. Guy can tackle. So that, to me, is the two guys. Because I'm like you. I think a lot of these guys are going to come back and play again their extra year. And, hey, most of these guys that would be coming back, I'm all for it. I would love it. I love most of these guys anyway. Jamie, hey, speaking, at- Jamie, speaking of that COVID year, is that a que- that's not another question? Is it an additional question tonight? Uh, it, I don't think so, unless there was one on Twitter. Okay, let me address it real quick because we had somebody on Twitter asking about this. So the question was asked by Jim Sumner at the press conference on Monday: Should we read into Senior Day? Uh, anything that happens on senior day, anybody that, that walks on senior day and that we honor. And Coach Elko said there will be some guys who do not walk. And he said, you can take that for what it's worth, which meant to me that they plan on returning. Um, and he said there will be others, even if, if they do walk. He said, you know, that doesn't mean they've made their final decision. He said, I want every player who thinks they could leave to participate in senior day because I want them to be honored with their families on the field. And so that was his thought. Now I got to give you the non Mike Elko answer as well. A couple of things Duke fans just need to get ready for 26 or 27 recruits are coming in and it doesn't make numerical sense for 26 or 27 new recruits to come in and for 10 people to leave the roster. Okay. So there's going to be some turnover and then, Secondly, and this is really difficult for some Duke fans to hear, but just because a player wants to stay for his COVID year does not mean that it's a, it's going to be the right fit for Duke to have them stay. So I think there could be some players who want to stay that Coach Elko and the staff just have to move on from, and it's no hard feelings. It's part of the business of the game. So that was just to address that specific thing that didn't get brought up, but it's related to that question. Brian? Just, just really – I, I don't know this. I don't know if you guys know this. How many red shirts are we allotted each year for the team? I don't That's, know if there's a number, man, because Wake Forest basically red shirts everybody that comes in. <laughs> well, well, and again, we saw VJ Anthony Jr. the third and Chandler Rivers step up as true freshmen. There could be another few guys that do that in the incoming recruiting class. We don't know these guys from Adam right now. But realistically, you come in as a freshman, unless there is an open spot or unless you just shine in, in spring ball, you're more than likely going to be on the sidelines with a red shirt for that first year to develop, get bigger, learn the yeah. system, everything like that. But 
with the new, what is it, four games you can play before you lose the red shirt, mm-hmm. you still have an opportunity to get on the field, as we saw with Henry Beelin earlier this year. Yeah, Eric Weatherly, another yeah. another one who did that. I, I will say we're going to have to hit the portal again. Uh, yeah. We're going to have to hit the portal in the secondary. Uh, the depletion that happened at the end of last season in the secondary uh, is going to be take us a couple of years to build back up. Uh, you can't have a mass exodus like that. And not and not you know feel that for a couple of years. I think the offensive line is going to have to do some. We're going to do some more O line pickup in the uh, portal, um, and possibly some D line pickup, just depending on what happens uh, there. But anyway, that's not the question. I'm sorry we got off track once again. If we don't if we don't stop, we we could talk for two hours. So Jamie, go ahead. Next one. All right, Greg M. Webster. Certainly, the Elko Clawson history going into this game. Is this the first time the two coaches have faced each other before, which I can't remember if Brian talked about this on the podcast or it was before we got on. He said, I know it is as head coaches, but what about beyond that? They have a long history together, obviously, at at Wake Forest. Yeah, they do have a long history together. I did do the research before we came on. I thought they, they faced off against each other head coach, defensive coordinator twice. It was actually only once. And that was back in 2017 when Elko was at Notre Dame. Notre Dame beat Wake Forest 48 to 37. So advantage Mike Elko. 1-0 on Dave Clawson. I mean, kudos, coach. Moving on. Yep, good. We found yeah. out today, by the way, that the mesh, that mesh delay offense was not really installed at Wake Forest when Elko was there. So he doesn't necessarily have any insight on that. So go ahead. And our our next question is actually is actually that because I was going to mention that I had heard that. On, on the press conference this morning when he was talking about the mesh, uh, Bob Riordan, how do you adjust for Wake, Wake's mesh RPO game? I mean, Coach, I here, here's the deal. As the players have said, he's a defensive genius. And and this, in a similar way, I can give a shout-out on a positive way to the previous coaching staff at Duke on how we prepared for an offense like Georgia Tech back in the Paul Johnson years. We, we were very well prepared for them. Shout out having a bye week uh, every year the week before Georgia Tech. Um, but I would say something similar to this. I mean, obviously, Coach Elko is not going to say this. If, if we were to ask him specifically this, he is going to deny this 100 times out of 100. But there's got to be a little bit of extra juice in this game. Uh, anytime that, you know, you, you're playing a former boss, a guy that's been a mentor to you, uh, the student versus the teacher, I mean, listen, we saw it, we see it in basketball when back in the day when Kay would play Knight and, you know, Roy would play Dean or whatever it may be. And so it's just a little bit this way um, in football. You see it with the Saban uh, and the guys that have left Saban and gone on to be head coaches. And you see the rivalry there. And so, anyway, I think there's going to be a little extra juice in there, but we're just going to trust the defensive prowess of Mike Elko because it is a weird offense, man. Don't get us, it's a weird thing to watch. And it's got to be a weird thing to prepare for on the defensive, uh, especially the line and linebackers. All right. So moving on to Twitter, Craig Spell was our first uh, question on here, and this is a: uh, if the stars align and Duke is in the at Duke Mayo's bowl, which member of the pod is going to take the Mayo bath if we win? And I kind of got I kind of got voted there, but I remember Brian saying that he would do it. Yes, thank you, Jamie. <laughs> I, I mean, come on! After last year's Duke's Mayo bowl, I said. Whoever the coach is, I would be more than happy to stand right next to them and take a Duke's Mayo bath. I will happily die on that hill. I'm, I'm willing to bet 
Not, and I'll get I'll get yelled at Saturday for this. I'm sure. I'm willing to bet that one or all three of the hard hats would probably do it too. True. If we all agreed to do it for Coach Elko to get Bro, to go I'm, to Mayo I'm not getting doused in Mayo. I can just tell you, I'll throw up. I like Mayo, but like I just the feeling of your hair. Exactly. Oh, man, I don't know your if hair I can do would that. Be slick and I mean, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we 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 joke about it, but I mean. Jamie and his Section 17 banana hammock. That's right. <laughs> I'm a miracle whip guy, though. Like, so. Oh, you're, you're out. You're automatically out. You, <laughs> right. Okay, folks, re- really quick. And I'm sorry. <laughs> Jamie hates Bojangles. Jamie hates uh, Dukes. I don't think Jamie's from the South. He hates Angus Bourne, too. Oh. <laughs> Dang. All right. That'd we be a whole other. That'd be a whole because I'm actually segment. with Jamie on a little bit of that talk, so we can't we, do that. Okay, okay, make okay time mad. out. If you want to talk with Jamie about Angus Barn, talk with him Saturday morning at the tailgate. We, yes. We've got to move on. This is going to be. And I got your back, Jamie. <laughs> well, Trent, Trent said he, uh, he said I'm gonna get kicked out of the uh, group if I keep all of my trash takes. So, <laughs> but uh, Big Papa RV, and he says, do analytics say the LB should blitz the mesh when down eight? After failing on two point conversion, or sit back and take away the quick slant route. Come on, Big Pop. You know I don't like. You know I don't like the analytics. And part two of should we have done this or that brought to you by. <laughs> that was actually a really great question. Yeah, well, it was. It we was. have no we, answer. No, we really don't. I mean, otherwise we'd be probably college football analysts. Shout out, Big Papa. Yes, we we do appreciate the question, Jamie. Let's go with one more. All right, let me let me uh, see which one seems a bit. I'm gonna go with Garrett Robertson at G Robertson. How in the world does Duke contain Hartman? He seems unguardable at times, and I would say you also, from uh, Scott's interview with Stan, you look at those receivers, man. Was it At Green, At Perry, At Perry Green? Yeah, these guys are uh, legit big. Big receivers, they're going to be hard to guard. And Hartman's one of the best in the ACC, if not the best in the ACC. And, and for the record, I pointed, I mentioned this to uh, Stan. Hartman is three touchdowns away from tying Taj Boyd with mm-hmm. the most touchdown passes in history. Really and truly do not want to be on the end of that historical moment because that okay. seems to be a lot of problems with Duke football. Yeah, I mean, I- you can. Go ahead. As long, as long as we win, he can get the three touchdowns. I don't, I don't care. So I would I would say that Wake's wide receivers were like Virginia's from last year. Mm-hmm. We've got to contain. That's them. a great comparison. If we, if, I mean, we we've talked about it. The secondary was our biggest question mark. Mm-hmm. But if we can contain and play like we did against Pitt last, now a little bit better quarterback. If we're being honest, better receivers as well. A little bit taller receivers. A lot better. But if if we can contain them and stop them from those big plays, again, I, I think we have a, a true shot at this game. Yeah, I don't have much more to say other than Drake May's getting all the, all the attention, and rightfully so. But Sam Hartman's around his heels in pretty much every category, even though he struggled, you know, for a couple of games there. And so, shout out to Sam Hartman. It's been a great career. So, after that – uh, thank you for, by the way, for sending your questions and continue to do that. Obviously, we'll we'll do a bowl game episode uh, where we'll take all your questions about about bowls and whatnot. What, what is that? 
what, you what's, know, what's, a, what's a bowl game episode? Back, so back in 2018, we did one of these, Brian. Uh, so it's, <laughs> it's a, we went to a bowl. Yeah. It's, yeah. We, 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 we did, did that in our minds. Episode. That's right. That's right. Um, but now it's time for our uh, new segment this year on our podcast. Uh, we happily, well, unhappily call it the not yet sponsored. One day we'll call it the sponsored, but right now it's the not yet sponsored. This week in Duke football history, Scott Medlin, take it away. So for this week in Duke football history, this we're going back before Peter Dodge was even thought of. So we're going way, 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 way back. We're going back to the 1800s. Oh, my. Yes. So November 27th, 1888. Hey, if you were alive, then you definitely deserve a bleed blue shirt. Yes. Duke, then Trinity College, would score its first win as a football program against a bitter foe playing on Thanksgiving Day at the North Carolina Fairgrounds in front of 600 fans. Duke would defeat, at that time, North Carolina, commonly known as Chapel Hill College now, 16-0. The game itself had many historical firsts. The game was the first ever for the Duke football team and was the first scientific game played in North Carolina. That meaning behind this was when Duke's first president, John Kroll, brought Yale's version of football to the South and implemented it in the game. The teams played with an oval ball and the game focused on rushing rather than kicking. This game was considered the first true college football game ever played in the South. And that was this week in Duke football history. So see the Duke Carolina rivalry does mean something more than just two teams and two fans going at each other. You know, back in the old Trinity Methodist college, bunch of preachers out there on the football field back in the day. So, Amen. Man. Amen. You know, <laughs> thank you, Scott, for that. And I always enjoy those taking us back, uh, sometimes recent history, sometimes the 1800s. And so uh, thank you for doing this week in Duke football history for us. And now we head into a favorite segment of ours, each each and every week, and that is uh, the tail of the tape uh, with Brian Kennedy, and that is sponsored by our good friends at Comfort Mechanical Contractors. Before we get to the tail of the tape, a word from our sponsor. Hey guys, Brian here with the Section 17 podcast. Quick question for you. What do Duke, North Carolina Central, and the Durham Public School Systems have in common? Well, they all have their heating and air service work done by Comfort Mechanical Contractors. Comfort Mechanical Contractors offers full-service commercial HVAC organization, as well as install work for new construction and commercial renovation. With their full fleet of service vehicles at the ready, Comfort Mechanical Contractors is equipped to handle service calls, as well as install building automation and control systems. For more information, give Comfort Mechanical Contractors a call at 919-383-2502. That number again, 919-383-2502. Comfort Mechanical Contractors, the premier commercial heating and air service contractor of the Triangle. And our thanks as always to Comfort Mechanical Contractors. It has been a great year, guys, having them come on as our sponsor. They've done some giveaways as well as giving us some cool swag, which you might see during some of the tailgates. But let's dive right into it. Tail of the tape, the last one for the regular season for the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Last year, Wake Forest went 11-3 and and made it to the ACC title game, losing to Pitt 45-21. to They would then go on to play in the Gator Bowl, where they would defeat Rutgers 38-10. Now, last week, Wake Forest defeated Syracuse 45-35 and are currently 7-4. and 
Dave Clawson's in his ninth season as the head coach of the Demon Deacons and has an overall coaching record of 148 and 131. Now, before coming to Wake in 2014, Clawson had head coaching stints at Bowling Green, Richmond, and Fordham, and a certain coach of the Duke Blue Devils was his defensive coordinator at Bowling Green. Now, overall, this is the 102nd matchup between Duke and Wake Forest, and Duke leads the series matchup against Wake 58-41 with two ties. Now, the first ever meeting between Duke and Wake Forest took place in Raleigh on Thanksgiving Day. That seems to be a theme back in the 1800s. On November 28, 1889, where Duke would beat Wake 8-4. to Wow, baseball score there. And since 1922, the two teams have played each other every year, except for 2020, due to COVID. And Wake Forest has a three-game winning streak in the series currently, with Duke's last win in the series coming in 2017 in Winston-Salem, when they defeated Wake 31-23. to And now it's time for Did You Know? Wake Forest athletic teams were originally known as the Fighting Baptist due to the school's association with the Baptist Convention in Wake Forest, North Carolina. The school's original mascot was a tiger and was the mascot of the school for close to 30 years. The name Demon Deacons did not come into existence until 1922 when Mayor Parker, the editor of the school paper at that time, said that Wake fought like demons against Duke, giving rise to the nickname. The actual Demon Deacon mascot did not make its first appearance until 1941. Student Jack Baldwin was deemed the first Demon Deacon mascot after he and his fraternity brothers came to an agreement the school needed a live mascot, said Baldwin. Some of my fraternity brothers and I were just sitting around one evening and came to an agreement that what Wake Forest needed was someone dressed like a deacon. Top hat, tails, a black umbrella, and all that. We wanted him to be more dignified than other mascots sort of like an old Baptist deacon would dress. Baldwin found an old tuxedo with tails and a top hat and made his first appearance as the Demon Deacon before the UNC game on October 25, 1941, when he led the team out of the tunnel, riding Ramsey's the Ram. Wake Forest would go on to defeat UNC 13 to nothing that day, and the Demon Deacon would be solidified as the school's mascot. And that was the tale of the tape for the Wake Forest Demon Deacons, brought to you by Comfort Mechanical Contractors. Three for three, Josh. Three weeks in a row. Mascots. You know, <laughs> as a man of the cloth, Amen. I am greatly offended by the Wake Forest mascot, the Demon Deacon. I'm offended, and I believe that uh, they should change it because I'm offended. And so, anyway, <laughs> 2022, right? I should, I should get my way. Um, but, you know, three for three on the mascots. Uh, you know, the old uh, Demon Deacon riding in the Harley uh, through basketball games. That's pretty legit. But he started by riding Ramsey's the very first game. That was that's, that's pretty, pretty legit. Yeah, that's that's incredible to hop on a, a live Ram. Yeah, that, that's that's something. Kudos, kudos to Mr. Baldwin on that one. Yeah, no doubt. Well, it's that time, guys. You've heard us talk and answer some questions about Wake. You've heard Stan Cotton talk about uh, the Demon Deacons, and now uh, we're gonna before we give you our predictions of Jersey and score, we'll hear who won. This past week's predictions on Twitter and on Facebook, and they'll be receiving a free Section 17 Bleed Blue t-shirt. Brian, who do we have? So on Twitter, guys, we have our first repeat winner, Mr. Blair Holloway. He predicted Pitt on the nose to win. Well, not on the nose. He predicted Pitt's score right, 28 to Duke's 20. 
And then on Facebook, Mr. Tony Haynes predicted Pitt to win 28 to 21. So Blair, congratulations again. Tony, I don't believe you've won yet. So congratulations on getting your free bleed blue shirt. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. And we're looking forward to sending those out and make sure we continue getting you guys as much of this swag as possible. If you haven't yet, go head over to dukefootballtalk.com. You can pick up your own bleed blue uh, shirt there in blue, uh, like an athletic gray or black. And then we have Elko era shirts, GTHC hoodies, all those types of things. So check that out at dukefootballtalk.com on the shop page. But let's talk about our predictions uh, for this game. This is the final home game, the final game of the season. We're at Wallace Wade on Saturday, 3.30. Uh, taking on Wake Forest. So, uh, guys, where are we sitting over, under, in the line? Uh, where did it start, Scott? You're the one that, that texted us. I think it was four. It's okay. at four right now is what I what no, I saw. Three and a half. It three and a half. half of four. Okay. Yep. So, it's three and a half, and the over, under, they're expecting a shootout, 66 and a half points. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Don't know what to think about that. I mean, I, I get the explosive offense for Wake, but – I mean, we have been explosive at home, so who knows? It could be one of those shootouts. Here, yeah. Here's something Here's something to take into consideration real fast before we go down this road. Um, someone jinxed us and said that the weather was supposed to be nice Saturday yesterday, and now it looks like rain is coming in during the tailgate and possibly during the kickoff. Hmm. So he's somewhere well, name, nameless, but he's at the Boundary House nine out of ten times eating dinner. So what I just heard was is that we're all going to be under the tent while Jamie's standing out in the uh, elements. Got That's it. right. And Jamie, since you did that, you have to go first, giving us your predictions for the jersey and the score. So go ahead. Hey, and really quick, since this is the last regular season one, throw in your bowl project- projection as well. All right. That's going to be my it's going to be my cuddle uh, cuddle game with Brian. With the mm-hmm. So it's been yeah, the sixties. I hadn't had one yet this year. That's a little cool. That's, that's a little cool. Uh, but anyways, yeah, it, I really hope the weather holds up in there and they're wrong about the rain because I think it could be high scoring like what uh, over under, what would we say, 66. Uh, I think it could be very similar to the Duke Carolina game where it's going to be a shootout. <clears throat> I'm going to go Duke 41. Wake Force 34. Duke 41, Wake Force 34. Duke wins, gets to eight wins on the season. Uh, would be huge for this team to get to eight wins on the season and get a win over a Wake Force team that a lot of people thought might be in the ACC championship game. Um, my uniform projection, I'm going to go blue. Blue, blue, blue with the white D. I've been wanting them to do that. so Big or small. Big, big D. There you go. All right. Uh, uh, bowl projection. Sorry. And my bowl projection. I'm going to stick with what I got on the website, which is the, I think the pinstripe versus Minnesota. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll go next. Uh, so Duke is averaging 33 points a game. Wake Forest is averaging 37 points a game. So that puts them right at 70 points. So I guess you see now why it's over to under 66 and a half. I'm going to go with Jamie. I think it's going to be a blue out to end the season with the big white D. And I, I, I said it before we started the season. 
I thought we had a shot, but again, this was before the season started. This was a completely different Wake team. I still say we have a shot. We are great at home this year. I'm going to go Duke 35, Wake 31. So we're, I'm going to be under the 66 and a half. And then as far as my bowl projection, I've been saying the Duke's Mayo. I said it before we started the recording. I still think we have a shot if we win. But I got to be smart about this because there, there are other teams ahead of us. So I'm going to go pinstripe as well. And I think we're going to renew an old rivalry with an old ACC squad. It's going to be – sorry, sorry, Scott. I know, I know. It's going to be Duke and the Twerps and Yankee Stadium. All right, who's next? All right, I got you. Um, <clears throat> so final home game, <clears throat> just to be just to be different. Um, I'm gonna say that Duke uh, Duke comes out with um, blue lids with the white D, big, uh, black black, <clears throat> just for the fun of it. Blue black black. <clears throat> I don't know if we will. Uh, but let's go with that. Um, I man, I, I got to be honest with you guys. Um, man, I really, I really want to pick with my head Wake Forest to win this game um, because I just feel that way. But I'm gonna go uh, with my heart on this pick, and I'm gonna say that Duke wins this game. If Duke is gonna win, as Vegas said, it's gonna be a shootout. So I'm going to be around what you guys say. Uh, I'm going to say Duke wins this game 41 to 37. So I'm going to take the over 41 to 37 Blue Devils. My bowl prediction, and I've not yet updated the website with it, but my bowl prediction is that Duke will be in the military bowl against our friends from Central Florida, UCF, in the military bowl. I believe NC State loses to Carolina we beat Wake, and that kind of moves us and shifts us around a little bit and takes us up. So, yeah, we'll see. But that's where I've got us. Scott, close us out, man, on these predictions. All right. Well, for those of you who don't have tickets to Saturday's game, got to be there. Look, be there early. We're going to have breakfast, B5 with the hard hats, 8 a.m. Rain, shine, it doesn't matter. So, man, if you could be there for the tailgate, it'd be fun. I promise you. It could that actually could be more exciting than the game sometimes because we have a great time there at the tailgate and we appreciate the hard hat guys they're great we appreciate them hosting this season and taking care of us and looking out for us and we appreciate all y'all that have come by and hung out with us too during the season uh if you don't have tickets come to the game if you don't do that part just come to the game enjoy yourself like we said it's gonna be a shootout uh i honestly josh almost stole my number and I, I look back at the Carolina game. It was 38-35. I'm actually going to go 41-38. I really think it may come down to a field goal. And it could be Todd Polino getting in the man crush zone for over 40 to seal the deal. But even if it's not, 41-38 works for me no matter what. And Duke wins. We're happy. Uh, uniform combination, man, my mind is all over the place with this because I really think we could go 10 different directions. I I think we could see a, a blue blue something, black something, black something, blue something. I really think the helmet could be something other than the D, which would be awesome. I would love personally to see the Carolina combination again. That's just me personally. We're not going to see it, but it would be nice. 
<sighs> so I'm going to go blue lid, blue shirt. I'm going to go white pants. And I'm going to be the weird, the really, really oddball here. I'm going to go to Duke's script on the lid. Don't think it's going to happen, but to be different, I got to be different. Uh, of course, my bowl prediction, <sighs> Brian stole it, but it's okay. Sorry. I'd really, I'd really rather go to the military bowl. Like I said, that that's my personal thing. I'd like to go there just for the whole back drop and everything. But I really think we're going to the pinstripe bowl. I think we're going to play the twerps. And hopefully that changes. If we win, I think we move up a slot or two. But I think right now we're sitting in about the seven or eight slot. And that's not going to go well. So there you have it. The uh, last projections of the regular season. We've got one That's more. Right. We, ha we have not done this since we started the podcast. We're going to have bowl projection uh, scores, jerseys, all that fun stuff. Whenever we find out one, where we're going, who we're playing, and we will have an episode in the quote unquote bowl season. We've never done that before. So we're very excited about that. Uh, Josh, start shutting us down and then I'll take us home. Okay. All right, man. So if you haven't yet, Follow us on Twitter at Duke FB Talk, Instagram at Duke FB Talk. On Facebook, you can search Duke Football Talk in the search bar. We have followings on all of those. We appreciate the fan interaction as we try to keep you in the loop and in the know for Duke football. Uh, if you believe we've earned a five-star rating and or review, uh, would you be willing to uh, give that to us? And so on Apple Podcasts, they love those written reviews. And so you'd be willing to leave one of those if we've earned it we would greatly appreciate it on spotify you can leave a a uh, a, a a rating of five stars we would appreciate that as well and then lastly our website we try to keep it updated as much as possible uh with our bowl projections that's a whole page in and of itself five deep articles getting to know players on a deeper level uh, on the squad uh our helmet stickers after each game shout out to the hard hat guys who got a helmet sticker this week from scott um, and then, of course, our podcast post there. That's at dukefootballtalk.com. We've already mentioned our store is there as well, so support that. we got some news coming out pretty soon on a new merch drop, and we're just going to leave it at that. But you guys are going to love uh, what we have up our sleeve for our new merch drop. And so, uh, yeah, that's really it. If you uh, follow us, please interact with us. Uh, we'd love to meet you at the tailgate. Uh, we'll be there probably. Scott will probably be there early. Uh, we'll be there before lunchtime hanging out. Um, and with the hard hat guys in lot B5, Brian, take us to the house. Yeah, and uh, to you and your family, if you're listening to this before Thursday, we hope you have a happy Thanksgiving. And if you're listening to this after Thursday, we hope you had a happy Thanksgiving and an even better weekend. We hope to see as many of you uh, there at the game on Saturday. But with that being said, for Josh Cox, Scott Medlin, Jamie Holden, producer Justin Sykes, I'm Brian Kennedy, and this has been another episode of the Duke Football Talk Section 17 podcast. Now turn the music up!